They said that you were terrifying. With cat's teeth and three eyes. You're not terrifying. You're boring. You don't know what I am. I know you're a witch. And you can see the future. Tell me mine. Everyone wants to know their future. Until they know their future. This is my father's land. My land. Tell me my future or I'll have your two boring eyes gouged out of your head. <laughs> the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast is back. This week we're talking about Season 5, Episode 1, The Wars to Come, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Michael Slovis. We'll be right back after this. Hello and welcome back to the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, TV editor of Sound on Sight, and joined as ever by the wonderful Ricky D, general editor, general editor, editor-in-chief, all that good stuff. Ricky, how's it going? Um, uh, I'm doing good, Kate. It's beautiful here in Montreal. We had 20-degree uh, temperatures, and uh, I was pretty excited to return to Game of Thrones. I'm really excited to talk about this. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Um, and despite what you know, some might have feared, the internet and Game of Thrones did not explode after some after some screeners leaked. Um, I, I think we can all breathe a sigh of relief there. Um, joining us this week to talk about the season five premiere, the editor of IndieWire's CriticWire blog, Sam Adams. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, now, just to, because there actually this is a situation that hasn't come up for us before where there are episodes out there that people may have watched that theoretically, I guess, we we could have watched. We're not going to talk about anything other than the season five premiere of Game of Thrones, so people need not fear spoilers. We will talk about things in relation to the book if it comes up, but only things, again, that have already happened on the show. So there will be no spoilers. Never fear, listeners. We are not, uh, we are not bad, spoilery people. It'll all be fine. Um, I've read the books, but it's been a while, so it's a little rusty for me. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm an expert, but I do have that background. Ricky has not read the books. Sam, have you read the books? I have not. So we'll never fear book spoilers, even accidentally. It'll be fine, I think. Um, now, Sam, uh, were you excited for the start of Game of Thrones? I, it, you know, it's been a while. Did, were you anxious to get back to Westeros um, before you know watching this episode? And did it? You know, how did it work for you? Um, was I anxious? Um, I was. I was looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, this is. This is. I think the show is probably as good now as it's ever been. It, it feels like they had some growing pains at the beginning, figuring out, among other things, kind of figuring out their relationships to the books. And there are just so many, so many pieces to get in motion at the beginning. But I feel at this point. You know, everything is kind of humming along at its own pace. They've obviously got a very large, very devoted audience that they know is going to be following along with them. And I think, you know, that this this episode in particular really shows that, uh, you know, the, you can look at these these episodes sometimes and just basically view them as a bunch of, of 
disconnected parts. I mean, these are sort of 10 stories going in, you know, or, you know, various stories being told in 10 episode increments that may or may not overlap. Most of them won't. Um, and then kind of are really fit together for reasons of individual pacing rather than anything in the episode having that much thematically to do with each other. But it, it does kind of hold your attention in the way of a, an old fashioned serial. I mean, no matter what story you're into or which one you might not be into as much, um, you're not going to have to stick with anything for more than, I think 10 or 12 minutes at, at the outside. And I think they're really getting very good now at making all the parts work together, just in a very basic kind of pacing, keeping everything moving along kind of way. Yeah, I agree. I always love those episodes and they do happen every now and again where there is a th- thematic tie as well. Um, those, those are those episodes that truly shine for me, um, from Game of Thrones, but you're right. That is not the case most of the time. And this is another of those episodes, um, where there may not be a thematic tie, but there's a lot going on. And like you said, there's a lot to enjoy here. And I'm just, just looking at the, just looking at the Wikipedia entry for this episode and the list of guest stars is just insane. It's just an insane list. I feel bad for anyone trying to like keep track of all these different storylines and know every single character name. And I know that there are those fans out there. I just, my brain doesn't have that much space. Um, so I, I just, it's after watching so much, there's so much great TV going on right now to dive back into this world and really appreciate how rich it is and how developed, like when we see the reactions to, for example, Mance Raider being killed, we, we just kind of look at different people in the crowd and, Either it's watching them watch a horrific moment or there are all these little character beats that you can pick up on as well. Um, if you, you know, if you want to remember back to the last time we spent significant time with all these different varied characters. And so that after, you know, we're, we're in season five now, that's really paying these really lovely dividends for those people who are so invested Right, and I think you'll get, I mean, if we'll, obviously people have seen the episodes are jumping all the way to, um, you know, the last scene. I mean, when you're watching the, you know, reactions of people as they're watching Mance Raider burn, um, you know, and you have, you know, Stannis's queen and his daughter there. I don't think you have to remember too much about them to get the dynamic there where it's clear that, you know, his wife is really enjoying watching this guy go up in flames and that his daughter is really not. Uh, and I think that's just contained in that shot. And whether you connect that up, up with what's gone before or after, I think that tells you, uh, you know, a lot just in a single shot. Yeah, it's very efficient storytelling. Uh, Ricky, how did this premiere work for you? Were you excited to be back in Westeros? Yeah, well, I'm never really excited for the uh, season opener for uh, various reasons. First of all, I write reviews of, the, of each episode, and it takes me forever to refresh my memory on who the characters are, who the actors are. So, like, it takes me twice as long to write a review. And also, I really don't think that they ever really have a really strong opening. I really like the first episode of season one, but it's not that the episode's bad. It's never bad. This is a Game of Thrones. Each and every single episode is pretty awesome. It just wasn't the highlight of my weekend, as per se, like episode nine usually is, or episode 10. Since you're both talking about the cast, one of the things I realized is this show is comprised of some of the most talented actors on a small screen. I mean, we can talk about Charles Dance, Peter Dinklage, Diana Rigg, Sean Bean back in season one. And something I, I mentioned quite a few times last year when we were podcasting was I was kind of worried that now that King Joffrey's dead, now that Tywin's dead, now that they've killed off all of these great characters and a lot of actors are no longer on their show, 
I was worried about season five because a lot of these characters are my favorite characters in the series. And so I was worried that going into season five, I wouldn't like season five as much as I liked previous seasons. Now, it's only been one episode, granted, but I couldn't help but think how much I miss a character like Tywin. I mean, the whole driving force of this episode is Tywin and his wake. Like, it opens with his wake. And and just, like, seeing the, the I'm, I'm assuming the actor lying down dead, uh, yes. you know, it's clearly not the same as having Tywin uh, being Tywin. Like, it's just, like, there's so many things I missed, and it had to do with a lot of the actors and the cast missing in action. And it's not just the characters who died. Uh, it also includes Arya, who's nowhere to be seen in this episode. I don't think she's ever in the season opener. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kate, but I don't remember her being in the season opener of season three nor season four. And just knowing that that Bran and Hodor are apparently not in season five at all is kind of disappointing. So Tywin Lannister was my second, if not favorite character, and I think he's the character who will be missed the most. And um, I don't know, like, it's not that I dislike this episode, but my worries from season four coming into season five uh, are sort of present already in the first episode. And the characters that we do have are on such a low, like even Brienne, who we all love. I mean, she's at her all time low right now. She's clearly depressed. She's not motivated. She's not the same Brienne that we know from season three or season four. Uh, Same can be said for Tyrion and so on and so forth. So um, it wasn't exactly the most exciting episode, but it also has me a little worried moving forward for the rest of season five. Well, I think that's a really, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I disagree a little bit in that I'm, there's some characters that we're going to be seeing next week that some, and some new characters and some new actors that are going to be joining the cast that I'm very excited about. Um, so I, because we, we, they want to keep adding new characters. They do need to make space. This is a ridiculously full world. There's only so much time. Um, however, I think it's an excellent point that when we're getting into season five, the number of characters that have been around since even season two is getting pretty small. Um, and so especially a character like Tywin, who commanded such presence and such a force. I mean, <laughs> he was a man to be reckoned with. What, what was the that thing that, that Loris was saying? Uh, twice, um, but he's a very dominate, dominating force within this world. Um, an excellent performance from Charles Dance, and we we get you know the Man's Raider's gone now. Kieran Hines is gone. Yeah, some of these really larger than life characters. If because we're in season five, they can introduce new characters, and I'm sure they will continue to do a wonderful job with them. Just look at last last year, the 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 Red Viper instantly made a huge impression. But you also don't have necessarily seasons of build up to those characters. I mean, how many characters are left from season one? But here here's the thing: is when you look at a character like King Joffrey or Tywin, who are now dead, or Lady Stark, Rob Stark, Ned Stark, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, there was so much focus on these characters and so much screen time, and I guess you know. I guess the reason is because these characters were going to die and they they do play a major part in the storyline. But then when you look at guys like Theon Greyjoy or um, anyone over at Castle Black or like all these other characters that a lot of them I just really don't care about. I mean, yes, we have Arya and Brienne and I guess to some extent Jamie, although he sort of faded in my like favorite list. Um, it's just that my favorites are gone. So, yeah, I'm kind of a little worried moving forward. Like, I'm not worried about the production values or the direction or the cinematography or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm worried about how emotionally invested I'm going to be in some of these characters. Because even Daenerys, like Danny, I mean, I want to like her character. 
I don't dislike her character, but I just wish I liked her character more. And I don't. They've been saddling her with um, some of the less uh, accessible, maybe, storylines that she's had for several seasons now. She's had, ooh, ruling is harder than conquering, which we've seen many times before. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from there, Ricky. What What do you think, Sam? Are, is this, are you worried about this, or are you more invested in some of these other characters? I find myself being surprisingly – I don't this doesn't happen to me too often when I discuss the show, but I find myself being the optimistic one in this conversation. Um, I think this is this is obviously the first episode of a season. It's called The Wars to Come. You know, it's a very kind of forward-looking episode. I also I think if we're looking at – as who knows at this point, but if we are looking at the initially forecast seven seasons that the show is theoretically going to run, we're now over the hope – over the hump and kind of we're on, you know, the downward slope towards wherever it's going towards, uh, you know, presumably some giant uh, towards winter, I guess, towards mm-hmm. some giant confrontation with, with the white walkers. And, and it's, you know, what we're looking at really, I think this episode is very effectively establishing the stakes, you know, Varys says it in his conversation with Tyrion, essentially, you know, what he's saying, Westeros is screwed right now. There's no one, to lead. We have to get Daenerys Targaryen because otherwise there's just nobody. Stannis can't do it. Tommen can't do it. And this this war is coming and we're not ready for it. And I think the loss of characters like uh, like Tywin Lannister, like Mance Raider, who, as I think even people who don't read the books like me know, is a major departure from the book. And I think was, from what I gather, kind of an unpleasant surprise for Kieran Hines that he was getting written out uh, so much sooner than he thought. Um, but I think that's really illustrating this this very kind of dangerous power vacuum that, the, you know, you have these charismatic leaders who don't actually wield enough power to take control and then you have people like, um, like, even like Daenerys, who has managed to end up in, in, has managed to end up as a queen, but doesn't have the the wisdom or the experience to actually rule once she's there. And and Westeros is kind of in trouble. Things really need to pull together quickly. So I think we're looking at, you know, an agenda that's being set for the season and potentially pointing us towards the entire rest of the show where Westeros really needs to, or the, the non white Walker part of Westeros really kind of needs to get their acts together if they're going to survive. So I think that lack of, you know, who's, who's the main character of the show, which is something that ever since Ned Stark got his head cut off in the first, at the end of the first season has been something that, you know, the show's very deliberate or the whole song of ice and fire is really playing with the idea of just the idea that, these kinds of stories have a sort of central protagonist, a king who we follow away all the way through to the, to the end. And they've been, really been saying in a lot of ways, it doesn't work like that, but now we're actually getting to the point where we actually, where the country and the story kind of needs somebody like that. Westeros needs somebody to unite behind. We, the viewers kind of need somebody to unite behind or, a, or a, a central core of, of somebody is to unite behind. And I think the show is, kind of pushing us towards that need. And uh, I think people are, it strikes me that people are at this point are kind of as spread out as they're going to get. And it seems that there is now going to be kind of a movement to, to bring characters together. I mean, have just having uh, uh, Tyrion rather and, and Varys actively seek out Daenerys, I think is 
that seems like as much movement as and having Brienne looking for Santa. That seems like a really concerted effort, both on the part of the characters and the show, to really push characters back together, having flung them so far apart. Hmm. Well, yes, but I mean, we also know. I, I I don't think this is a spoiler. We know from because this has been talked about a lot in casting and other things that the you know the showrunners have said. We know we're going to Dorne this season, so we're adding a whole new continent. Yes, yeah. So while yes, certain characters are definitely coming closer together, and I would be very surprised if we didn't see Arya intersect with some of the other people in the Free Cities at some point this season. We're we are also expanding to a new whole new world, a whole new you know area as well. So. Certain, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Sam, about certain areas of the show. But in others, I mean, there's still this is theoretically a seven season show, but that means we still have three seasons. This is the start, you know. So it's going to be a while. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of story left to tell for sure. Which, which is really funny. So they are only committing to seven seasons supposedly, but it kind of, I kind of feel like, despite the fact that we are continuing some storylines, it kind of feels like a complete re- refresh for the whole entire series. Like you talk about the main character, the main protagonist, like you're right. We don't have one. And this episode, the first episode of season five, it begins with the wake for Tywin Lannister. And it's bookended with Matt's taking an arrow to his chest, courtesy of Jon Snow. He dies in the exact same way that Tywin dies at the end of last season, both die with an arrow to the heart. And it's kind of like symbolic for these two characters who were such great leaders, led such large armies, had such immense power, and now they are both dead. And so it's like it's like the dawn of a new era. And so who who are we looking to for our, our main character? I, I think Jon Snow is at the top of the list. Like we talked about this last year and I said if there's three characters that I think are are untouchable in, in the sense that they won't kill them, at least not till the last season of the series, it would be Jon Snow, Daenerys and Tyrion. I don't think those characters are, are are like I think they're untouchable. Like I don't think they can kill off those characters. I think everything revolves around those three characters. <laughs> I would add another one to the list, but I don't want to get accused of spoilers. Um, but yeah, I okay. absolutely see what you're saying. But I, what I would throw into this conversation though is when you talk about who's the main character or who's who do we see as particularly significant characters for this season. This premiere really sets up Cersei as one of them by opening with Cersei. And that opening scene I really did like of the flashback. We've gotten very few, if any. Is this one of the very few? This is the very first flashback in the TV series. In the show, right? I thought it was lovely. It's the first flashback. It's in the opening scene of the opening episode of season five. Again, it feels like they are sort of like, rebooting the show in in some ways it's like they're they're trying new things and it's an interesting choice for a tv show based on books that contain so much backstory and so many characters including characters who are not even in the television show because they just don't have room to fit everyone in and so to include a flashback is really interesting because like how often are they going to how often do they intend on including these flashbacks because it's going to eat away at screen time uh, and what's interesting about this flashback is like i think all of the characters are like like they live in shadows of the past like they're all haunted by the past and her prophecy does come true and so it's sort of like the future is written in stone like it's like it's like they, it's not pre, it's like predetermined it's like these characters don't have a choice and it goes back to what i was talking about last season with bran and his visions and i uh, i think one of the reasons and i could be wrong because i haven't read the book but one of the reasons why i think bran's not in season five is because i'm assuming that everything that revolves around his journey and his visions is going to somewhat spoil things to come in the future. So when we do see those visions of uh, that Bran has back in season four, 
it shows us little clues and hints as to what we're going to get later on in season five, six, and seven. And so that's why I think they purposely took Bran out of the storyline this year. But in this, in this episode, we do open up a flashback and she does have this prophecy. Three questions you get. You unlike the answers. I've been promised to the prince. When will we marry? You'll never wed the prince. You'll wed the king. But I will be queen. Oh, yes. You'll be queen. For a time. And comes another. Younger. More beautiful. To cast you down and take all you hold dear. Will the king and I have children? <gasps> the king will have 20 children. And you will have three. That doesn't make sense. Gold will be their crowns. isolated and this goes back to what you were saying earlier sam um last season was pretty splintered and if there are certain characters like for example remember there's there's another stark out there we haven't seen for quite a while um so so who went off with um the the little stark what's his name again i want to say jojen but that's not that's the reed rickon 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 oh my god there's so many i know But when, so when these characters go off and are just like, and then they grew up in a village for a couple of years, like, I think it's actually a good idea as much as I do really like Bran. And I was disappointed to, to know we were going to have to wait some more before we get to, um, you know, the way that that ended last season before we pick back up with that, it's going to, if it may happen at some point this season, but I think the rumor is that, you know, we're going to wait a season for that because that is, you know, he's off doing his own thing. I'm much more okay with that. Let's let all the characters who are actually going to intersect, let's focus on that. And that works. That works for me. What do you, what do you think, Sam? Are you going to miss Bran? Um, no. Um, I, <laughs> Isaac, Hempstead well writes, Isaac Hempstead right Isaac Hempstead right seems nice, but uh, no, I don't, I mean, Bran is not a character I miss just, just generally. Um, but also, I mean, yeah, they have a lot of mouths to feed at this point on the show. So if they, you know, setting aside one of them for, for a season is I'm not so desperate to find out what happens to, to Bran and Hodor that I can't wait another year to find out. And, and as you said, I mean, there, there's, I'm sure there are kind of narrative reasons for, you know, lining up everything, lining up every, getting every storyline to go to the same place at the same point. I'm sure there are uh, good reasons for that, I guess. So. Yeah. I really liked, like I said, I really like that opening flashback. I would be surprised if there are more, um, I really feel like that was just a let's kick off the season kind of thing. Um, but uh, but how do you guys feel like that works to, to to foreground Cersei? Do you think we're gonna get a lot more time with her this season, or is she gonna you know how 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 much control is she gonna cede to Marjorie? 
I, I think it's a given we're going to get more time with her. I mean, there's not too many Lannisters left in King's Landing, but I think one of the reasons why we do get that opening flashback is because I think religion and black magic are going to be the forefront of all of, all of these storylines, or at least the major storyline or theme for the entire season, because we also do get introduced to Jonathan Price, who plays the High Sparrow. Was he the actor from season one, Jonathan Price? I don't He's not he's been bad. on the show previously, no. So, yeah. so, so they swapped the actor. Yeah, which is not the first time they've done that. Okay, yeah. all right. I just wanted to make sure because I was a little confused. So, anyhow, the High Sparrow shows up, and and then also, of course, there's Melisande over at Castle Rock. Now, is it Castle Black or Castle Rock? I'm all confused. Castle Castle Black. Castle Black. Sorry. Uh, and and of course she's have, working for Rob Reiner now. <laughs> yeah, and of course you have Melisande who's over at Castle Black, and I don't know. And plus that opening that opening flashback. I mean, I'm kind of interested to find out who the seven are. He basically worships the seven, whatever that means. Um, so I want to see more of the High Sparrow. And I don't know. I just kind of, um, I mean, like, I just kind of want to see what they're going to do with this character because it becomes clear his newfound religion may spell trouble for Cersei, especially given how he casually mentions uh, how the king, uh, Robert Baratheon, went on that boar hunt, right? And it yes. kind of feels like he's sort of like subtly trying to blackmail her or threatening her, only she's like not really paying attention or she just doesn't think he's a danger to her. Uh, but I think he's gonna he's gonna be an important character moving forward. Well, we all, I mean, we also find out in that conversation that, if I'm understanding it right, that Jamie is not the only relative of Cersei's that she slept with, and it, it seems that she kind of got him to, you know poison Robert's wine so that he would be kind of in a stupor and get gored by the, the boar. So it seems like that's, you know, a, a, a tool she's been using within the family for some time. I mean, and for me, the way that opening flashback plays, which basically says, okay, you're going to have three children, uh, you know, they're going to be covered in gold and then they're all going to die. Um, and it really says you're, you're doomed. And I mean, that is, you know, historically, literarily, little, literarily, I'll try that again. Historically, literarily, incest is often this kind of sign of, of a closed loop. You know, this is a family kind of turning in on itself. We're, you know, we're running out of Lannisters at this point, and it, it seems that that that's kind of what's going on with with Cersei. There, it seems like that she's, I mean, she's running out of sons, she's running out of options, and she's trying to find some way to break out of this cycle that doesn't involve her losing all her power, which marrying Tommen to Marjorie Targaryen, or sorry, uh, Marjorie Terrell seems to have done for her. So she's trying to figure out where, if anywhere, she fits in this reconfigured King's Landing. I, I would also say, uh, I'd be curious what you guys think, that younger and more beautiful queen, I think they want us to think it's Marjorie, but I think it's more satisfying if it's actually Danny. To tie in with the gold and the ridiculously blonde hair of Danny Targaryen. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it seems, I mean, it's more directly just playing on Cersei's fear of aging, you know, aging out of her power. You had that dynamic with her and Joffrey a lot too, where he would just sort of really condescend to her and basically say, like, you know, look, mother, like your past that I've taken over now. And he he was very, even while not really being ever in control at this point, sort of trying to play that card with her. So I think it's just playing to, even though the it's being said to young Cersei, I mean, it, her thinking back on that now, I think it's very much playing to her kind of present concerns. Well, let's talk about the comedy Lannister this week, which is 
Tyrion, definitely. Um, were you guys glad? Uh, I was both, at first I was like, really, did we need to know that? And then I decided I actually did. That they spell out for us how they did waste disposal in that crate on the way to Pentos. I, was that a TMI situation, or are you guys glad they went there? I don't know. The Lannisters keep on uh, giving us like these poop jokes. I don't know what's <laughs> up with the Lannisters. Uh, I don't know. I honestly didn't even think about it until now. I mean, I think it's, I don't know, you can carry this too far, I said, but I mean, Tyrion does say, I mean, he says, you know, the past is, or, you know, the future is shit, just like the past, you know, and I think there's something about kind of focusing that pra- on that practicality, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's a, it's a very kind of clear, you know, okay, you're stuck in a crate, um, where does that go, and then, and then taking it even a step further, you know, I pushed it out through the holes, and then Varys is the one who had to actually pick it up and throw it overboard, Um but there's, you know, that's the side of things that Game of Thrones kind of prides itself on, on folk, on not forgetting, mm-hmm. you know, it's very into um, kind of not giving you the, the sanitized version of this kind of, you know, quasi medieval world that it's come up with. So it kind of seems to, to fit into that. And I have to say, I mean, although it's, I don't know, maybe there's not that much plot going on. I feel like I could just watch hours and hours of Varys and Tyrion kind of going at each other in dialogue. I mean, it's, it's you know, two of the best actors on the show, some of the best dialogue in this episode. I found those scenes just a complete joy to watch. Well, what I really like about Varys, especially in this episode, is he seems to be the only person in Westeros that that has like a, an idealistic vision of the seven kingdoms. Like he's actually very positive. Like he, he thinks it's a world worth fighting for. And you know, if he's going to pick up Tyrion's shit, then he clearly thinks that he is valuable and he needs his help because he, you know, he thinks that Tyrion's sort of like the key to helping Daenerys get on the iron throne. And, and one of the biggest frustrations for me as a viewer watching a show is watching two characters cross like, you know, cross, like pass by each other, but never actually meet. Like, for example, uh, Brienne and Sansa. Like, how many times has has Brienne walked right by Sansa and not even realized it? And it happens again this week. And uh, but one of the joys when watching this show is watching several characters finally meet and, more importantly, team up. And so the idea of Tyrion meeting Daenerys and being by her side as her councilman, because right now she really needs someone to provide her with some kind of, um, you know, wisdom and, and someone to guide her and help her lead. Because ever since uh, Jorah was exiled, like she seems lost, like she's asking for advice from anyone and everyone who's willing to provide it. And I just I think it's exciting to to just know that there's a possibility that Tyrion might be side by side with Daenerys. I can I can see him in like season seven riding a dragon, you know, out to battle. It'd be amazing. Like, yeah. oh, I can't wait. So um, you know, and it's you're right, like Varys and and Tyrion, whenever they, they are talking, like I could I could also sit down and watch a whole entire one hour episode of just listening to these two men talk. And um that that to me was like the second highlight of the episode. Uh, not just because they're such great actors, but just knowing that they do intend on heading over to uh, meet yeah. Marine, sorry, to finally meet uh, Daenerys, and that that has me excited. Here's a question about this episode. I mean, do we buy? I, I mean, I love the idea that Varys somehow nourishes this uh, germ of an idea that there could be another way. You know that that um, 
not, you know, another way for people to interact. But I mean, do really, do we really believe that he would be the one to do that? Because he has always, I mean, the only way he keeps himself alive is by having the clearest, most clear eyed, least sentimental view of what is going on in Westeros at, at any time. I mean, that's, he's the master of whispers. He knows what everyone's doing and what everyone thinks. Is it really, I mean, does someone burdened with the weight of that information, is he really going to you know, hold out a, a, somehow the hope that we can all just get along? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think it's, there's a difference between all getting along and the best option present, you know? Um, and so for, and, and also who knows what he'll think when he, once he's met Danny, but it, it feels very much like there's been all this squabbling in Westeros over here are our, you know, five options of Kings and everybody's looking around at all of them. They all have their own weaknesses and none of them is really the right fit, which is what leads to there being the war of the five Kings. Um, and, and Varys looks at this and goes, Hey guys, um, <clears throat> There's this other person over there. She just doesn't have a penis, but maybe we should be looking at her as an option as well. Um, and, uh, and and so I think that's the vision of for him is, or what gives him that vision is you know his outsider status. So he is able to think outside of the box, and that's what takes him or allows him to see this option. And really, on paper, Danny looks great because of course he doesn't know that she's really struggling right now he doesn't know that she has no control over her dragons and doesn't even have one of them um so i think from where with the information he has and the vision he i mean the fact that he's been a targaryen supporter for so long um but but with the information he has and with the other options presented to him i buy it yeah i mean i buy it too i mean she has three dragons you know like like you said he's not aware that she's not in control of the dragons but what are the options? I mean, Tywin Lannister was just killed by his son. You know what I mean? King Joffrey is dead. Like, Lan uh, Stannis? Like, Stannis? I don't think Stannis can, like, actually, like, even have a stand a chance in actually getting on the Iron Throne. Tommen? Tommen's, like, too young. Yeah. He seems to be a very keen judge of character, Varys. And that, like, that seems to be his single biggest, uh, trait or best trait or most important um, thing that's kept him alive. That's why he looks over at Littlefinger and sees the devil. Um, and that's why he doesn't, you know, cause if, if, if Littlefinger, you know, like somebody like Ned Stark, he would be more likely to throw his support behind, even though he's not the right man to rule, which is why Varys didn't. But some, you know, it's like, I think there, if there were other options that made sense, the Varys, based on how he's written and like that's the fact that that is basically his superpower uh mm. reading people uh i think he would have seen it so i guess it's a combination of what makes sense as a viewer for me but also what um g given the information or the superpower that the character has for lack of a better word um because i feel like the show is telling us this is the right thing to do because Varys is the one who has this idea yeah. Well, he also says he's looking for someone who can inspire the people and some a ruler who's loved by millions. And she's clearly the only person who's loved by millions, despite the fact that some of the Unsullied are rebelling. Uh, th there are many people who do look up to her and she is a goddess because she's the mother of dragons. And so to me, it totally makes sense. Um, it, can we talk about Daenerys? <laughs> sure. Okay. Because, okay. I, I don't know. I just, I just was not happy with how it ended. Like, I don't like, like, I, I, I think it's, 
you know, D Dario brings up a good point that without her having control over her dragons, she's really not the queen that everyone expects her to be, and therefore she loses power, and that's why you have, like, a rebellion going on. But I hated that scene in which she runs into the cave, looks, like, totally frightened and scared, and then just runs out. I don't know what it is with this character, but sometimes, like, they'll, they'll, they'll have one episode where it really lands, and she's really... Really interesting and really strong. She, she makes some interesting choices. Because I understand that she's not as wise as someone like Tyrion. But sometimes they make her seem so naive, so young, and so stupid that I'm like, what is going on here? It feels like the writing contradicts uh, the character from, like, last season. Especially at the end of last season. It was just really strange. Huh. I like that scene. Really? Sam, what, yeah, what did you think, Sam? Um, I... Uh... I, I guess I'm right in the middle. I mean, I certainly, I like, I mean, I get the point and I, and it's, it's, you know, a great idea to have the mother of dragons, not in control of her dragons, but the end, but there does seem to be a kind of, I don't know, slightly like incredible naivete about her sometimes. I mean, she, she has, you know, raised these dragons from their eggs. Uh, you know, it, it seems that, I guess, I guess she's making a lot of decisions at the moment, and, and a lot of them don't seem to be very good. It, and it, it, um, maybe she's just in over her head. But yeah, but but generally, she's doing a lot of things that seem to, um, I don't know, rely more on the assertion of her authority than a careful consideration of it. I just I just feel like from what we've seen of this character as me as a TV viewer and what they've shown us in the past, it doesn't ring true. I mean, she's she's been so brave in so many moments in previous seasons where she stands up against people who are willing to kill her. She walks up to like these huge gates and and faces a whole entire city, and a whole entire army. These are her children. Yeah, they are dragons, but she didn't show the same kind of fear in previous seasons. And it was just so weird how she was just so scared all of a sudden. And they're still chained up. Like, I just I just didn't like the execution of the scene is what I'm trying to say. I didn't like the way it was directed. I didn't like the way they caught her reaction shot. I didn't like the delivery of her performance in that scene. It's my only, only uh, nitpick. Not even a nitpick. I just straight out hated that se the sequence this week. See, but I I really liked it. And for me, what I see there is she knows that she has wronged her children. And she knows that her children are very powerful. Um, and so when she goes into that, when she goes in to see them, it's sort of like, hey, guys, so remember how I chained you up? Yeah. Um, so so she, it's because she knows that she feels guilty about having put them there in the first place. And she is now going to see them because of her uh her because she needs something from them again not because it's the best thing for them but because she needs them and and so i think there's all this other stuff going on with that where you know she was in a very hard position does she does she let them have free reign or do you know and keep killing children or does she lock them up and I like that we're seeing her have to deal with consequences for her actions and very personal consequences uh, no, with I'm her sorry. dragons. I hated this scene. Okay, first okay. of all, it's her children. Like, this is what, the first time she visited her children? Be it dragons or not, it's her children. It's the first time she visited her children yeah, since apparently. she locked them up? That I'm is stupid. retarded. That is retarded. And the fact that her lover has to point out this very important fact, like Dario, like, seriously, like, does she not have brains? That really bugged me. That just drove me up the wall. Like, the well, fact that Dario is the one that has to point it out, like, whew. 
but I can, it. I can see her not wanting to face that and like pushing it off. Like it's something that she knows to be true, but she doesn't really want to have to deal with it. So she's focusing on all this other stuff that's going on instead. And he, his, what he says, like is what nudges her to finally go do it. Like, and I'm reading between the lines cause this is not on the screen. This is not necessarily in the books either, but this is like, to me, it makes sense with what we've seen from the character. But I, I just would tie this back to what you had already said, uh, Ricky, that, uh, since Jorah, since she got rid of Jorah, since she banished Jorah, she's been lost and she needs, uh, she needs assistance. She needs someone to help guide her. She has wisdom within her, but it is not there yet. And she is yeah. not there yet. But he was more of a guide when it came to politics and leading an army, not being like a mom, a mother to these dragons, not being a person, not showing compassion, not actually visiting your children at one point in time and realizing that you have to remedy this problem, this find a solution like that's i don't know anyhow we're gonna move on i just really re <laughs> i expect more from daenerys well let's talk let's go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about uh up at the wall i mean unless do you guys have pressing thoughts about uh, uh Littlefinger or, or sansa that we must discuss no um, it just remains gross <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, I was just going to point out the fact that she mentions that they are heading west, but you kind of just, I think, explained why she says that, because I had no idea they were heading to a new world this season. Oh, well, I don't know. They are. The show oh. is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just assumed that they were going to head to a new location because she does mention that they are heading west and not heading in the direction that she's supposed to be heading in. But um, yeah, so we'll see. I don't really have much to say about Littlefinger this, this week. You know what the highlight for me was, though? It was Mance Raider. Because, because that actor is so talented. He's so underused in the series. I wish we had seen more of this actor before he actually, his character actually dies. Um, uh, quick pause. Have you watched Rome yet? Me? Yeah. I, I just don't know. His name is Hines, right? I can't remember. Kieran Hines. Name. Yeah, just if you, if you hadn't. Anybody who likes Mance Raider and is bummed when you're, they're not going to see more of that actor, go watch Rome, where he plays Caesar and is amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I've, I've seen Rome. I just can't remember his first name. Yeah. <laughs> I was speaking to a lot of my coworkers uh, today about that specific scene, and what's great about it is how, at least in my circle of friends, how everyone cared so much about Mance Raider in this episode, and it was so horrifying to see him, you know, chained up, and well, he he wasn't burnt alive, but they were going to burn him alive. Thankfully, Jon Snow came and sort of saved the day by putting the arrow in his heart. But that whole performance from him, I thought was amazing. I love how his character wasn't afraid to admit that he was actually scared. I love the fact that it wasn't about pride. I love the conversation, a dialogue, and the exchange between him and Jon Snow. Um, so everything that revolved around Mance Raider for me was the highlight of this episode. How about for you, Sam? Yeah, I mean, the Mance Raider stuff is, is, is clearly the best, I think. I mean, especially that last, I think it's you know, 8, 10, 12 minutes, whatever that last stretch is. That's, you know, about as long as the show ever gives us in one location. I think it was some really um, fine acting. It's um, especially from, from Kieran Hines at the stake there, but it actually builds to a, you know, kind of a big movie moment. And it does, it does feel to me like it's really setting things in motion for the season as a whole, and that's pretty exciting. The thing I always enjoy or that I really enjoyed about the end of last season up at the wall was 
you know, we've spent, we had spent, you know, the season and the, really the series watching Jon Snow uh, come into his own and really be, be a leader up at the wall and be this really significant figure and such a great fighter and, again, uh, such a leader there. And then uh, you watch Stannis and Mance Raider show up and they go, uh, yeah, sorry, boy, this is what a leader looks like. And this is what, uh, this is what a powerful man in this world is. So if you would just stop talking, the men need to talk here, need to figure this out. Uh, having, you know, ha having this lovely scene with Mance and John where Mance is just like, how do you not get that I don't want to tell, can you know, conscript all of my people to their death for a fight that they aren't involved in? How do you not get that? You know, it just highlights how far John still has to go if he's going to be a leader of men. It, like the fact, the fact that he just doesn't get how how man's. I mean, and I think John also knows that it's a he's not going to win that conversation. I think he goes into it knowing he's not going to be able to convince him. But the fact that he even still tries and doesn't understand, doesn't accept the you know what what Mance is saying is just delightful to me huh thoughts <laughs> i didn't mean to break the room no i mean yeah you're right he he still does he still can't understand his point of view uh, it speaks volumes about john snow as a character but i still think he makes a great leader i think he is a leader i think he's more of a leader than than, than daenerys at this point i mean daenerys has a hundred million people advising her on what to do um, you know, take away her dragons, and she doesn't know what to do. I think Jon Snow, Jon Snow, at least makes choices, and he doesn't always make the best choices. But uh, I don't know. I really, I really do like his character. It's just I, I feel like over the four years, or now five years of podcasting, just uh, just about every single person has been so hard on his character. All our guest hosts, you at times, Kate, and I don't know. I've always enjoyed Jon Snow, and I, I enjoy watching him grow. And he still has a lot of growing to do, but. I've always been invested in his character. Yeah, I think he I think he understands Mance's point of view. I think he doesn't want to accept it and he wants to try and talk him out of it. I think he he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want him to die. He likes Lance, he clearly likes Mance more than he likes Stannis. And and basically I mean, basically John's going into that situation, he has nothing to offer. He has no negotiating position whatsoever. He thinks he's just going to be able to talk him into this thing rationally and kind of doesn't understand that that's just not who, who Mance is and that he would rather die than, um, than bend the knee, as he said. Um, yeah. And for me, it's not that John is a bad leader. It's that there are, there's this, there's a spectrum of leaders presented on this show, as we've talked about in previous seasons. And, he is not Mance. He's a long way from Mance. And you're right. He he does make choices. He may, he's a better leader than we've seen Danny be. That's I would definitely agree with that. But he's he's not done yet. He's got he's got a ways to go. And uh it's something that is very much highlighted for me when in a scene like that, you know, we think Jon Snow is the defender of the wall and he's like okay, he can he can play with the big boys. And he's better than some, but at least for me this just highlights how much, and imagine how, how great he'll be when he's at that level where he can be on equal footing with somebody like Mance. Well, you all, yeah, you have a lot of people on, on the show who are kind of good battlefield commanders. I mean, you know, Tyrion's not too bad at it. You know, John 
was great in a, in a battle situation. And then you have people like Stannis who have power somehow and, and a name and, and uh, a, you know, crazy devil woman at their side. Uh, but you don't really have anybody who can fill that gap in between, who can do the kind of daily daily governance that Daenerys is struggling with so much right now. And that is, you know, a gap that needs to be filled. I think there's that's where the kind of power vacuum is most uh, intense. Well, and it's also, so it's a larger theme that we've been seeing on the show. You know, like you talk about the power vacuum. It's just like all of the, the, the really strong central wise figures keep getting killed off and their kids are the ones who have to try to figure out how to be them, you know? So we, we, you know, we lose Ned and we lose, we lose last season Tyrion, or sorry, Tywin, and now we lose Mance. Like all these high level, like the the people at the top of the game of Thrones, if you want to say that, like the 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 people who are the clear, best, strongest, most effective leaders, are have all gone at this point. You could argue the Queen of Thorns is still around, but that's about it. And so now we're having to watch these younger people and these less experienced people try to figure out how to do it, do what maybe Tywin made look so easy and some of these other figures made look so easy. And if they don't have the right support around them, like Danny, um, or they don't have enough experience yet, maybe like John, they're going to have to struggle a while. Well, the thing is, is that there really isn't much difference from them where they are now and where their their fathers were at their age. I mean, war has always been present. It seems to never go away. History repeats itself, especially in this series. And I think like the, the thing about Jon Snow is he has too much heart. He's too much of a kind, gentle soul at times, despite the fact that he is a great warrior. He can never be like Stannis or Tywin. You know what I mean? He can't. He could maybe be like Ned Stark, but he'll never get the respect that Ned Stark had until maybe he marches in some huge battle and is is like the savior which he still has not yet done and so he still has a lot to prove and i think that's why people still um you know treat him like a boy because in their eyes he still hasn't yet proved that he is the great leader that he can maybe one day be but i think he has the potential for it it doesn't mean that he will achieve it but i think he has the potential yeah well there's a lot of potential in the series um characters and you know the show itself. Do you guys have any thoughts of like what you're hoping to see this season or, you know, obviously not spoilery, but what are you hoping they, you know, characters or kind types of scenes or like, do we need, who are, who are they going to pair either Brienne or, um, or Arya with next basically? Like what are, what are your hopes for this season, Sam? Um, that's a good question. You know, I'm not, I don't tend to think ahead too much. It's kind of not how I watch. I am. As long as I feel like I'm in, as long as I feel like they're in control, I'm kind of happy to, to take things as they come. I think, I, you know, I definitely like to see Danny stop being so much of an idiot and <laughs> um, and maybe bring Jorah Mormont back into the orbit a little bit. I feel I think he kind of got a, got a raw deal there and listened to some of his counsel. But, yeah, I, I would uh, that would be very high up the list is seeing her kind of and um, – I don't know, for Sansa to get as far away from Littlefinger as she possibly can, because that whole thing is just icky. <laughs> Ricky, how about you? I'm actually not entirely sure. I honestly don't know how to answer this question this week. Um, what do I want to see? Maybe maybe more of, well, clearly Arya. Um, in terms of pairings, 
I don't know, Kate. I'm at a loss this week. I look around. I'm like, where's my favorite characters? <laughs> except, for, except for, you know, Tyrion, clearly. But oh, keep, keep Tyrion and Varys together. Yes. yes. They're, they, they make a great team. Is that our comedy double act for this season? Like, uh, you know, Arya and the Hound? It's, it's Varys and, and Tyrion? Oh, yes. Oh, we need someone. Hope, hopefully. But the thing is, you know what? If he actually meets Daenerys, and hopefully it won't take them too long to actually get to to the point where they actually finally do meet Daenerys, that'll make her storyline and everything happening in that part of the world so much more interesting, just having those two characters around. You know, just in terms of, like, dialogue alone. So, to <laughs> me, that's a bonus. So, that is definitely something I want to see a lot sooner than later. Yeah, I would really like to... I would like to like a Danny arc. I've been like I thought there was so much great material for her in season one, the the character and the actress, and then season two was give me back my dragons, and then season th- you know like like they they've not given her anywhere near good enough material to work with the last couple seasons, and so I think I feel like she's really riding on the goodwill we have of her from season one, um, and a, like a couple moments every like every season she gets like one really. Uh, epic and really transcendent kind of moment where we, we reinvest in the character. But I would like to really enjoy Danny week to week. Um, so hopefully that's coming for us she's, this season. She's awfully mopey with for a woman with dragons. <laughs> yes. It's, there's um, there's a lot of... And I think it's because they know that they if they progress her storyline too quickly. It feels very, very writerly that they just keep holding her back, that arc back, because they can't have it go faster than everything that's happening in Westeros. Um, so there's a lot of uh, filling time. Uh, at least that's what it feels like to me with Danny. And they can't, you know, they can't pull a brand. They can't have her not on the show for a season. And so because of that, you know, like Danny learns to rule off screen. I would be up for that if it if it was going to actually fix that corner of the show. But I hope that instead, like you say, Rick, sending um, Varys and Tyrion into her court could, you know, take care of that instead. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been delightful talking about the season premiere with you guys. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, you just uh, IndieWire's CriticWire blog is where you will find me most of the time. So right there. Any Twitter or anything you want to plug? Or you oh, my, yeah, my Twitter is Samuel A. Adams, and I'm there way too much of the day. <laughs> far too many days, so, yeah. Rick, how about you? Where can, uh, where can we find your, your work? What's going on at SoundOutSite right now? Um, lots. I just uh, started my new gaming podcast. If you're into video games, do check it out. And uh, How is it pronounced? Because Simon and I were debating that. N-Express. N-Express? Okay, yeah. cool. And... Um, I don't know. We're, we're focusing on Canadian cinema this month, so that has me a lot really excited. And uh, I guess that's about it. Sound and sight on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at The Televerse. And of course, The Televerse is the weekly TV podcast. I co host with Simon Howell over at Sound and Sight as well, covering, you know, everything else. So it's insane right now because all of the shows are either coming to an end or starting up. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So you guys can check check that out there. Like you said, Ricky, like us on Facebook. We'd appreciate if you guys want to send to iTunes, uh, go, go to iTunes and give us a rating or review. That would be nice. Um, but yeah, reach out and talk with talk with us because that you know that fan experience is so much a big part of 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 why I I really enjoyed this show. So hopefully you guys will 
Share your thoughts with this ep- about this episode. Uh, next week, we'll be back to talk about Season 5, Episode 2, The House of Black and White. And people who know the book will know what that means. Anyways, uh, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Michael Slovis. I'll just say, I think you'll be happy next week, Ricky. But I don't know. Who knows? I just, I have a feeling. To, to be fair, I was happy with... The, a good chunk of this episode. I just wasn't happy with the Daenerys scene and her dragons. That's it. I mean, okay. like I said, it's a season opener, so. Okay. Well, and Game of Thrones always takes a while to build. It's a momentum show, so it takes a while to build. We'll be back next week to talk about uh, episode two. So uh, thank, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. You never told me why you set me free. Your brother asked me to. Would have said no. Refuse the Kingslayer, a dangerous proposition. Not as dangerous as releasing me. You risked your life, your position, everything. Why? You're you're not family. You owe me nothing. I didn't do it for you. I did it for the Seven Kingdoms. Drunken dwarf will never be the savior of the Seven Kingdoms. I don't believe in saviors. I believe men of talent have a part to play in the war to come.